Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Give us a call, 208-991-4783. And uh, become one of our friends on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Well, today's episode is brought to you by the financial support of our listeners. Thank you so much for your support. And I want to specifically thank Michael, Val, Peter, and John for sending along their contributions. Uh, thank you so much uh, again uh, for all your support and contributions. Now it is time to get into today's episode, The Adventure of the Speckled Man. <laughs> From New York City, the makers of Clipper Craft Clothes for Men and more than 1,200 leading retail stores from coast to coast present that immortal character created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes, starring John Stanley. This week's story... The Adventure of the Speckled Band. Holmes, it's three o'clock in the morning. It is indeed, Watson. How long are we going to crouch in the darkness of this room, waiting for, for what? Watson, observe. The ventilator. Joe, there's a beam of light coming through. Yes, our long vigil is over. That light can have only one meaning, my dear Watson... In a moment, we shall close in our final encounter with death itself. We're at the door of Dr. John Watson's study, and we're about to hear another of his adventures with the fabulous Sherlock Holmes. Well, good evening, Mr. Harris. Good evening, Dr. Watson. What memoir are you working on tonight, sir? A very singular adventure, Mr. Harris. A very singular adventure indeed. In glancing over my notes of the 70-odd cases I have already inscribed in my notebook, I can see none stranger than that which befell the family of the Royal Arts of Stoke Moran and, in Surrey. And the name of this adventure, Doctor? Holmes and I always called it the Adventure of the Speckled Bat. And after you've taken a moment to present the facts on Clippercraft clothes, Mr. Harris, I shall proceed with the facts of this amazing story. Thank you, Doctor. And this is where... Well, I'll be... Remember me, Mr. Harris? I'm the lady whose husband... Insisted that a really good suit costs a fortune, and I explained that a luxurious Clippercraft suit costs only 40 and $45. Well, I told my husband that only $45 would buy a handsome Clippercraft suit of pure worsted. and made your suggestion that he be sure to look for the famous Clippercraft label. And I suppose you told him these values are possible only because Clippercraft concentrates the enormous buying power of more than 1,200 fine independent stores from coast to coast for unbelievable savings to him. Indeed, I did. But my say-so isn't enough. So? So I let him convince himself. 
I told him to compare Clippercraft with clothes selling for many dollars more. And now, Dr. Watson, what about this adventure of the speckled van? Well, Mr. Harris, the events in question occurred in the early days of my association with Holmes when we were sharing rooms as bachelors in Baker Street. At any rate, this peculiar adventure began in April of 83 on the western border of Surrey in the manor house of the Royal Lots of Stoke Moran, descendants of one of the oldest Saxon families in England. It was late one night. A storm was brewing. And in one of the bedrooms, a girl named Julia Stoner slept uneasily. Then she was rudely awakened by a peculiar sound. Dear, you're awake, Father. Helen, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid. So afraid. Every night for the last week I've heard it. That awful whistle. I, I've kept thinking perhaps it comes from those, those horrible gypsies that have been around the estate lately. Or, or those strange animals Father brought back from India. Oh, Julia, you're overwrought. It's only nerves. After all your weddings next oh, week... Helen, and... I'm afraid. I'm no, afraid. No, no, dear. There's nothing to be afraid of. Now, you go back to your room and try to sleep. And if you hear anything again, you call me. They're open again, and it's raining in. I must ask Father to have these repaired. Helen! 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 Come into my room, quick! Helen! Julia! Julia, what is it? Open the door, Julia, it's Helen! And Ellen, it, it was the, the speckled band, the speckled... my story, all of it. I found my sister, Julia, swaying in the doorway. She just managed to gasp out the words, the speckled band, and then fell dead. 
Remarkable, Miss Stoner. A most remarkable tale. You say all this happened a year ago, Miss Stoner? Yes, Dr. Watson. Shortly after my sister had become engaged to a half-paid major in the Marines, the official police found nothing, and the coroner was completely mystified as to the cause of death, particularly since Julia and I always locked our doors and kept our windows bolted. I see. Miss Stoner, a year is a considerable lapse of time. Why have you come to Baker Street to consult me now? Because last night, for the first time, I heard that warning whistle myself. The whistle that Julia heard the night she died. Interesting, Miss Stoner. Very. Now, my dear young lady, let us review the background here. You and your sister were each left a thousand pounds a year by your deceased stepmother. You lived with your stepfather, a Dr. Grimesby Roylott, recently returned from India. Is that correct? Yes, Mr. Holmes. To go on, your stepfather is a man of rather peculiar habits. He has a violent temper, he allows gypsies to roam about the grounds of Stoke Moran, and he keeps a cheetah and a baboon as pets. Uh, Not exactly the kind of fellow I'd like to meet. Watson, please. Now then, Miss Stoner, a question. Yes, Mr. Holmes. You heard this whistle from your room? No. No, I'm staying in Julia's old room temporarily. My stepfather recently decided to make some repairs on the manor house. Uh-huh. Holmes, how the deuce does all this make sense? The door was locked and the windows bolted. Yet somebody or something got into that room, struck Julia Stoner down, and now threatens her sister here. And the authorities never even knew the cause of death. Patience, Watson, patience. When we arrive on the scene, we shall know infinitely more. Miss Stoner. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Would it be possible for Dr. Watson and me to see these rooms at Stoke Moran without the knowledge of your stepfather? Why, yes. He happens to be in London today on business and won't return until evening. If you would like to come up this afternoon, I can return by the 12 o'clock train and be on hand to meet. Excellent, Miss Stoner. Watson, you need pack only two articles for our journey. Yes, Holmes? What two articles? Your toothbrush and your service revolver. <laughs> Well, Holmes, I just saw Miss Stoner to a cab. What do you make of this whole thing, anyway? These are very deep waters, my dear Watson, the most dark and sinister business. Well, dark enough and sinister enough, I should say. That reference to the speckled band, for example. You know, I have a theory on that myself. Have you indeed, Watson? Pray let us hear it. Well, Holmes, it might have referred to some band of people, the uh, gypsy band on the grounds, no doubt. Perhaps the spotted handkerchiefs which so many of them wear on their heads. No, 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 first class try, Watson, but I do not think... Hello, someone's at the door. He seemed to have an impatient visitor, and by the quality of the knock, he seems to be using the butt of a riding crop on our poor door. Better admit him. Yes, right, Holmes. Which of you is Sherlock Holmes? My name, sir. I am Dr. Grimesby Roylott of Stoke Moran. Indeed. Uh, Pray take a seat, Doctor. I'll do nothing of the kind. My stepdaughter, Helen, has been here. I followed her, sir, and I demand to know what she told you. It's a little cold for this time of year, don't you think, Doctor? What has she been saying to you? I have heard, nevertheless, that the crocuses promise well in spite of the weather. Ah, you put me off, do you? I know you, you scoundrel. I've heard of you before. You're Holmes the meddler. Holmes the busybody. Holmes the Scotland Yard jack-in-office. Holmes, he's picking up the poker by the fireplace. There's no cause for alarm, Watson. Oh, isn't there? See here, my meddling sleuth. You stick your nose in my business again, and I'll bend you between my two hands as I bend this poker of Holmes. Watson, uh, kindly let me have that poker. Yes, sir. Right, Holmes. What? Our guest has rudely bent our poker. I should like to bend it back before turning it to the fireplace. There we are. 
Observe Dr. Roylott. The poker is straight again. Holmes, for the last time, I warn you. Keep your Scotland Yard nose out of my affairs. Dr. Roylott, up to a moment ago, your conversation was quite entertaining. Now I find it a trifle wearing. When you go out, pray close the door the, the sided draft. Very well. But you'll not hear the last of this. You know, Holmes, man sounds like a homicidal maniac. Yes, perhaps. But I have a much juicier bone to pick with him, Watson. Fancy his having the insolence to couple me with the official detective force. This incident only adds additional relish, my dear fellow. And I shall pursue this case with even greater zest when we reach Stoke Moran. So this was your sister Julia's room, Miss Stoner? Yes, Mr. Holmes. Hmm. I said, I don't see how anything could have gained entrance here, yet there's no doubt of it, Holmes. Julia Stoner was alone when she was murdered. It's true, Watson. But nevertheless, this room has several... Curious features. Miss Stoner. Yes, Mr. Holmes. That ventilator high on the wall, where does it lead? To my stepfather's room. Uh -huh. Strange place for a ventilator between two rooms. And I note here a bell rope under the ventilator. Yes, Dr. Roylott had that put in some time ago. The peculiar part of the arrangement is that it's not attached to any bell. You'll note that it's fastened to a small hook just above the ventilator. A dummy bell rope. Eh, Holmes? Exactly. Oh, very absurd, Mr. Holmes. I never even noticed it before. I never had occasion to use it. My sister and I always went for things ourselves. Yes, quite. Ventilators that do not ventilate and bell ropes that do not pull bells. Miss Stiller. Yes? Suppose you show us to Dr. Roylott's room. This room seems plain enough, Holmes. Yes, true, Watson, but it has a number of interesting features. Miss Stoner, does Dr. Roylott keep a cat? A cat? Yes. Why, no. He has a cheetah and a baboon, but not a cat. Why do you ask? Because it is a saucer of milk on the floor. And while a cheetah is actually a big cat, a saucer of milk would be quite inadequate for... Uh-huh, what's this? It seems to be a small safe. Yes, so it is, Watson, so it is. Miss Stoner, do you know what Dr. Roylott keeps in this safe? Why, his business papers, documents. Yes, I see. And here's a small dog leash with a whip cord curled to make a loop. And, Watson. Yes, Holmes? I think I see the whole devilish, fiendish scheme now. Oh, what is it, Mr. Holmes? How did my sister die? I should prefer to illustrate in full tomorrow morning. And tonight I hope to resolve this entire and hideous affair. Miss Stoner. Yes, Mr. Holmes. That is the village inn over there through the window? Why, yes, it's the town. Good. Your windows are visible from there. Now, I ask you to listen closely and follow my instructions to the letter. Of course. When your stepfather returns, confine yourself to your room. Then, when he retires, open the shutters of your window and put your lamp there. Dr. Watson and I will be staying at the inn and we'll see your signal. Then, move into your original room for the night. I presume it will be bearable for one evening, despite the repair work. Yes, Mr. Holmes, but I, I don't understand. Neither do I, Holmes. What are we going to do? Watson, you and I are going to spend the night in the next room. The room where Julia Stoner met her sudden and hideous death. Well, Dr. Watson, that, that's quite an adventure. And what happened that night? Some very exciting events, Mr. Harris. I suppose we take a moment while you relate to our audience some exciting information 
on Clippercroft clothes. All right, Doctor. Well, what does your husband think of his Clippercraft suit, Mrs. Adams? Terrific. He's even telling friends that no suit or coat is a genuine Clippercraft unless it bears the famous Clippercraft label. Imagine, my doubting husband now says, quote, that Clippercraft label is like the mark of sterling on silver, unquote. Well, he's on the beam, Mrs. Adams. I hope his friends know that throughout America, Clippercraft is available in their own community at a friendly independent store, a store they can trust. If they don't, they will. And those expensive-looking Clippercraft top coats and overcoats at only forty to forty-seven fifty simply amazed my husband. And you ought to hear him rave about Clippercraft's handsome zipper-lining top coats. Why you think he worked for Clippercraft? Why, on the contrary, Clippercraft works for your husband and for millions of men who wear Clippercraft clothes, making it possible for them to enjoy really fine clothes at the same amazingly low prices everywhere in the United States. We'll both vouch for that. Yes, Mrs. Adams. That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes, bearing the Clippercraft label. So be sure to visit the Clippercraft store in your city. In your suits, top coats, and overcoats. In Manhattan, Saks 34th, Broadway at 34th. John Wanamaker Men's Stores, Broadway at 8th and 67 Liberty Street. In Brooklyn, Abraham and Strauss. In Newark, New Jersey, Boulevard Men's Shop, Kresge, Newark. And in Jamaica, the B&B Clothes Shop, 16408 Jamaica Avenue. And now, Dr. Watson, you were relating to us the adventure of the speckled band. Yes, Mr. Harris, so I was. Holmes and I took a room at the Crown, which was just on the edge of the vast fence-surrounded Stoke Moran grounds, almost overlooking the main gate. We had a cold supper of some excellent partridge and uh, passable ale, and then as darkness began to fall, we became increasingly watchful of the middle window at the manor house across the grounds. You know, Holmes, the very prospect of entering that room at night gives me a chill. I have as much courage as any man when it comes to open conflict with a visible enemy, but you know Yes, this... yes, Watson, I know, and frankly, I have some scruples as to taking you tonight. There's a very definite element of danger. Perhaps you'd better stay here. Dash it, Holmes, what kind of talk is this? You know very well you couldn't keep me away. <laughs> Good old Watson, I knew I could depend on you. Uh, Holmes, you speak of danger. Apparently, you know more of this than I do. Perhaps I do. You saw the peculiar ventilator and the equally peculiar bell rope, did you not? Yes, I did, but what is that? There was something else, Watson. The bed in the murder room. The bed? Yes. What about it, Holmes? It was attached to the floor so that Julia Stoner could not move it. In short, it had a definite position in relation to the rope and the ventilator. Does that convey anything to you, Watson? By Jove, Holmes, I'm beginning to see it. Hello. Now. Look through the window, Watson. Seems that Stoke Moran has a visitor. The main gate's practically under our room here. Well, Hodges, what the devil are you sitting up there for? Get down and open the gates. Dr. Roylott. Yes, and he seems to be berating the coachman. Open the gates, you blithering idiot. Be quick about it, or I'll have your blood. Now then, now then, you incompetent fool, take me to the manor house. You have to whip these tired nags to get a little speed out of them, do so. I'm late as it is. My daughter is waiting for me. Holmes, do you think he'll Come, do Watson, it? Come, Watson, we shall have horrors enough before the night's over for any aimless talk. Let us have a quiet pipe and uh, turn our conversation to something more cheerful.
11 o'clock by the parish church tower, Holmes. Yes. Apparently, Dr. Roylott is not yet retired. On the contrary, Watson, he has. Look. Yes, Holmes, a light. Just appeared in the middle window. Quite. That's our signal from Miss Stoonar. We'll cross the grounds through one of those gaps in the park wall and make our way to the manor house. And Watson. Yes, Holmes? Have your service revolver at the ready. It's blowing up, Holmes. The wind's almost bending these trees double. Yes. It's pitch dark here, too. I must say I don't perish this idea of stealing across these grounds toward that house. Rather a chilly experience, I must say. We should soon be there. The sooner the better. By the way, Holmes, why did you bring that cane? For a special purpose, my dear fellow. I have an idea that a cane will be a useful weapon in the hours to come, and... Holmes, look. That clump of laurel bushes there. Yes. Seems to be a man. A misshapen, deformed man. He's watching us, Holmes. Good Lord, he looks like something out of Hades. Holmes, he's seen us. He's starting to run toward us. Stand fast, Watson. Good heavens, what's that gibberish? Holmes, he's danced to one side. He sees the branch of that tree swung over the wall. Why, that, that devilish creature isn't a man at all, Holmes, is it? Yes, Watson, it's Dr. Roylott's pet baboon. Baboon? Yes, baboon. You know, for a moment I thought I could see the devil himself. Mm, a pretty household, this. But we should be at the manor house at any moment, and I... Holmes, a scream! Yes. It came from that, that clump of trees. Holmes, what the juice is that? Is it human? It's a cheetah, Watson. Dr. Roylott's cheetah. He's out in the open, roving grounds. Good Lord! The big cat! Quick, Watson. You'd better run for it. The creature has our scent and he may attack. Well, Watson. Here we are. At the window of Julia Stoner's old room. Yes. Yes, and thank heaven we seem to have lost the, the big cat. Right, now then. Try the window that Helen Stoner left unbolted for us. That's right, sir. Gently, Watson, gently. Yes. Now then, into the room with you. Holmes, you, you want me to climb through the window first? Quite. You're less agile than I am, Watson, and you'll need my assistance. Now then, up you go. Uh, uh, try to land lightly. Very well. All right, Watson? Yes. Good. I'm coming in. Hear anything, Holmes? No. So far, we seem to be undetected. Put out that lamp. You mean we're going to sit here without light? Yes, Dr. Roylock will see the light through the ventilator, and he'll wait until his niece is asleep. Meanwhile, I'll close the window. Holmes. What now? Wait. Wait? Precisely. Wait and watch that ventilator. I'll sit at the side of the bed, Watson, and you take the chair. And make sure your pistol is ready for instant action. Suppose it's three o'clock in the morning. It is indeed. Still no sign that Dr. Roylott is awake. How long are we going to crouch in the darkness of this room? Patience, my dear fellow, patience. We can only keep alert and hope. Mm -hmm. Someone's moving about in the next room. Precisely. Dr. Roylott. Who's oh, In a moment, Watson, you'll see an attempted murder. And I may add one of the most fiendish and hideous contrivances to execute a lethal mission. I... 
Watson. It's over. The ventilator. There's a gleam of light coming through. Get ready. The length of heaven for wash. What was that? Dr. Roylott has just opened the door of his safe. Yes, but... Time for explanations now. Hand me that cane, Watson. Very well. That's it. Now watch that ventilator and the bell rope closely. I... Listen. In the name of heaven, what is he? Hissing sound. In the other room at the moment. Now it's coming close to the ventilator. There it is, Watson. See it? Dash it, I don't see anything, Holmes. Look out, Watson. Let me get at that bell rope with this cane. You murdering little devil. You foul, loathsome, hideous creature. Listen. Listen. There's a whistle in Dr. Roylott's room. That's a signal from Roylott. Now listen. And wait. Holmes! Holmes, what the juice? It's Dr. Roylott, Holmes! Quick, Watson, into Dr. Roylott's room at once! Holmes! Holmes, the door's locked! Yes, so it is. I... Mr. Holmes... Dr. Watson, I just heard someone screaming. My stepfather... Quick, Miss Stoner, have your key? No, no, I haven't. Then we'll have to smash our way through. Come on, Watson, we'll have to crash it together. Right. Now then, together. There we are. Now then. Good Lord. Speckled bandits! It's a snake. A speckled snake. And it's curled around Dr. Roylott's neck. Yes, a swamp adder, the deadliest snake in India. Dr. Roylott is already dead, as you see. Hand me that dog whip, will you, Watson? Yes, yes, Holmes. There you are. Now then, my beady-eyed friend, if you'll just curl yourself around this leash. Uh-huh. Holmes, be careful. I have every, every intention of it. Now, my slimy fellow, let us clap you into that safe from whence you came. There you are, safe in your hiding place. Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson... Quick, Watson, she's fainting. Here, here, here now, Miss Stoner. Oh, she, she's unconscious, Holmes. It's a shock, you know. I'll, I'll have her around here in a moment. Good. And after you do, we shall remove Miss Stoner to some place of shelter. And notify the county police. Well, Watson, we've left Surrey far behind, and soon we shall be in London. Yes, we shall, Holmes. But I cannot leave the memory of what has happened so easily. How Dr. Roylott came to use this kind of snake is beyond... <laughs> elementary, my dear Watson, elementary. The idea might very well occur to a clever and ruthless man with Eastern training. As a medical man, he knew that the poison was almost impossible to discover by any known medical test. He knew further that only a very sharp-eyed coroner would ever detect the two little dark punctures where the reptile's fangs had done their work. And that whistle? Obviously, Dr. Roylott could not allow the reptile to stay in the murder room till morning. He had trained the adder to return when he whistled. With the ventilator, the dummy rope, and the bed all in fixed position, he knew sooner or later that the snake would bite his sleeping victim. Uh, I must say you took a terrible chance, Holmes, driving that hideous creature back through the ventilator with your cane. Yes, perhaps. But the result was that it turned on its master on the other side. Some of my blows came home and roused its snakish temper so that it flew at the first person it saw. And with deadly results. Yes, quite. 
You know, Watson, I am no doubt indirectly responsible for the death of Dr. Grimesby Roylott. But I cannot say that I feel any remorse. And I, I doubt very much whether it will ever weigh heavily on my conscience. Well, Dr. Watson, that's an adventure none of us is likely to forget. True, Mr. Harris, true. And I assure you, I shall never forget it. The makers of Clippercraft clothes and more than 1,200 stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Our stories are based upon the character Sherlock Holmes, created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and the program is produced and directed by Basil Lachlan. Sherlock Holmes is played by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by George Spelvin. This week's story was written by Max Ehrlich, with special music by Albert Berman. If you don't know your Clippercraft dealer, write Clippercraft, 200 Fifth Avenue, New York City. It is the sincere hope of the entire Clippercraft family, including their dealers from coast to coast, as well as all of us here on the Sherlock Holmes program, that this Christmas will truly bring peace on earth, goodwill to men. This is Cy Harris speaking for Clipper Craft Clothes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Welcome back. Well, if this isn't the most uh, adapted uh, Sherlock Holmes story outside of The Hound of the Baskervilles, of course, uh, I don't know what is. Uh, we've heard, actually, adaptations of this Uh from uh, Basil Rathbone, uh, from Tom Conway, and, and now for from John Stanley. For my own part, uh, I actually just last week uh, listened uh, to the Old Court Radio Theater's uh, adaptation of uh, the uh, of the Speckled Band, and I, of course I, I mentioned. Uh, the uh, Sherlock Holmes Society podcast in uh, London, and it was on that. So uh, I've heard this uh, story quite a few times. They change it up a little bit here in terms of their telling of it, uh, and some of them I'm not certain is, uh, uh, is is an improvement, such as having Holmes uh, bend the uh, uh, poker back into the face into place uh, in the face of Dr. Roylet. In most adaptations, Holmes does, Holmes does this after uh, Dr. Roylet's left. Uh, and, of course, they went ahead and they showed uh, flashback to the, uh, to the death of the sister before showing the interview with Holmes and basically had Holmes recapping what the daughter had said rather than showing her say it. 
And I'm not certain if it made it better, but it certainly didn't uh, take it down from being a, just an incredible story. And it's uh, very captivating, uh, very uh, chilling. Uh, it's just uh, somewhat uh, remarkable uh, that uh, this story just continues to be as uh, popular and engaging as uh, it is as it truly is and i, I think that uh, uh i think that we'll p- probably hear this uh, adapted uh, more than uh, one more uh, time uh certainly uh, even if we we don't hear it more than once on this show we'll hear it on others be- uh, because uh, this is a story that's uh, just uh, timeless uh, in terms of its quality all right, well, uh, listener comments and feedback. We begin with Michael, um, who uh, commented on uh, epi- on a prior episode. He comments on uh, episode 744, The Island of the Dead. Better than the last episode, at least Holmes displays some elementary, uh, put sorry, apparently for the pun, skills at thinking out the problem. Nice plot, although the idea of a deserted island as such uh is such a location is uh unlikely well a lot of fiction depends upon the unlikely um but uh thanks for the comment and then we also received uh, a very nice uh comment from veronica i love the show best partner ever to do the sunday cleaning i've been waiting until i have the techno cool to tell adam how much i appreciate his research into each episode can't watch a TV mystery show today that is not cherry-picked from old-time radio. And uh, you do see some of these same plots uh, recurring. And I think particularly if you watch uh, some of the uh, television shows uh, from the 1960s and 70s, it's uncanny how many uh, were taken from... Uh, uh, we're taken from uh, radio dramas, and I think we played at least one here that um, uh, on our video theater segment that was taken directly from an episode of Let George Do It. All right, well, that will actually do it for today. We'll be back uh, tomorrow with yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and then join us back here on Thursday, next Thursday for Sherlock Holmes. I should note here... Uh, that we will skip next week's episode and come back to it. Uh, next week's episode is uh, uh, the uh, Blue Carbuncle, and we'll save that one for a little bit more festive time of the year. All right, well, send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Give us a call, 208-991-4783, and follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.